Oh man, it's, um, it's so great to be here with you. And um, as the church grows, it's so exciting to, to see what God's doing in the lives of the people uh, coming to Mission View Church, some of the new people, but also like Chris and uh, Dave, see what God's done in their lives. And it was, you know, it was a really easy conversation that we had as we looked at what God was doing in their lives. And um, I remember it was probably after a month that I had been here that um, Dave and Sue Whitman came into my office and um, <clears throat> they met with Kelly and I and they said, I said, Pastor, would you mind if we helped out a little bit? We've got this idea that, you know, maybe we could help with the greeters at the, the door and, and the welcome table. Maybe we could organize this and, and really make an impact as people came and feel welcomed at the church. And I, those are like dream meetings. As a pastor, that, that just doesn't happen that often. And to have them come and say that and then just you know, let them loose to do that. It's, it's been amazing to see uh, what God has done in the ministry and the, the work that they're doing. And Chris Durfler, um, I was on the missions team that he led. And um, it's just, it was really cool. All the trainings and work that he did to prepare us to go out. And then the work that he did while we were there, it was just a huge, huge blessing. Uh, There's two elders that went on that trip, myself and, and Josh. And and we looked at each other halfway through the week, and it was like, wow, this is really cool to be able to go on a missions trip and just follow someone else's lead. You know, and, and Chris really stepped into that role. So we recognize what God's doing in them, and it's a huge blessing to us as a church as well. And one thing I wanted to, to do before I jump into today's sermon, this past week we celebrated Veterans Day. And I wanted to take a moment to recognize our veterans. So if there are any veterans here, would you please stand today? Veterans, please stand. Look at all these guys. Just remain standing, guys. I want to say a quick prayer for you. We appreciate the great sacrifice that you've made for us, for our freedom, and we do not take that for granted. So let's just all pray together for our veterans today. Father, we thank you for these men and women that are standing, the sacrifice that they have made for our freedoms. God, we pray that you would be present in their lives. God, I pray that they would sense your presence in a powerful and miraculous way. And the struggles that go along with serving in our armed forces. God, we just pray against PTSD and the struggles and different things that, that maybe they're dealing with. God, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring strength, that you would bring encouragement into their lives. Protect them and guard them. God, we thank you for their sacrifice. And we thank you that you work through them and that your grace is on them to serve you and to serve our country. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for your service. Usually we would have done that last week, but I totally forgot. So I'm glad that, that um, we were able to do that this weekend. Well, we are finishing up our sermon series today that was, we've been working through called uh, Generosity. It's called The Treasure Principle. Really what we've been talking about, though, is generosity. And um, I've, I've really enjoyed going through this. Hopefully you've enjoyed going through The Treasure Principle book in your community groups as well. I know that um, just a short four-week sermon series is probably hard to get through that entire treasure principle because there's so much really good stuff in there, but 
encourage you to, uh, to read that and go through that as well. But um, today we're going to talk about ge- radical generosity. And when the Bible says the word generosity, what, what are they, what are they, what's God really getting at? What, what does he mean by generosity? We, we've talked through it just a little bit. But we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 a really clear description, even kind of a picture that one of the churches um, in Macedonia kind of shows us. And Paul talks about God says through Paul, this is radical generosity. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be in the first few verses there. And um, I've really enjoyed studying this text so far. Um, And I'm looking forward to sharing with you from it today. Uh, Before we read God's word, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that as we open it, that your Holy Spirit would guide us, that you would open our eyes to the truth that you you want to share with us today. God, I pray that you would use the words that I say. Use me for your kingdom. God, I pray for the hearts of the hearers of your word. Soften our hearts to receive what truth you have. God, that it would, would change us. And we don't want to just read from your book. God, we want your book to read us. So come and, come and change us for your glory. God, that you would be glorified in our lives, in our decisions, in our thoughts. We give you our hearts. We give you our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read God's word today. 2 Corinthians 8. We'll start in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, you might want to underline that, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. Isn't that a crazy statement? I was, I was reading that, I was like, you know, I was thinking as I first read that, he says this, this um, severe test of affliction their abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty. I was not expecting, you would say, a wealth of generosity. I thought for sure there was going to be, you know, some type of, they need your help. You need to be praying for your brothers and sisters. No, but he says it's, it's an overflow of wealth of generosity on their part. For they have gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Get this, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were begging, here's people in severe affliction, in a wealth of poverty, begging to give. Now that's radical generosity, right? That is is a true biblical expression of radical generosity, begging to give, even though they're they're suffering and, and in poverty. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, that Corinthian church, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, this giving. I say this not as a command, this isn't a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, 
might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness... Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. You might want to underline verse 14 there. We're going to spend some time there in a little bit. That there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. He's quoting Exodus there. We're going to jump to Exodus in just a minute. So you might, well, probably a few minutes, but you might want to stick your finger back there in Exodus as well. The first thing I want to point out here, and as you came in, you should have received a program. In there, you can follow along and write down some notes. The first fill-in is this. Radical generosity is a grace given by the Lord. It's a grace given by the Lord. We see it where it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Very, right, very first verse there. What we see here is, as soon as we give our lives to the Lord... As soon as we surrender to him, as we give him the reins, as we say sometimes, that we make him Lord of our lives, we give him control of our lives, God begins to do a work in us. And it's, it is by his grace, through his grace, that he's changing us and growing us. It's a big church word, sanctification. It just means change, that God begins to change us. We get comfort in our struggles and suffering, clarity to the scriptures we study and meditate on, and conviction of sin that draws us to God in repentance and obedience. Three really cool things that we get in relationship with God. Comfort, clarity, and conviction. Comfort in suffering, clarity from the scriptures, and conviction of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of us are called to generosity. This is not for some and not for others. That's what we gain from what we just read in the scriptures. That it's not for the wealthy. Radical generosity isn't for the wealthy. It's for everybody. No matter where you're at in life, God is calling us to be a generous people. I remember another story throughout the scriptures. Do you remember the story of the widow's might? Many of you have probably heard it. It's, it's, it's an amazing story. There's this, this uh, religious leader who goes into the temple and he's giving his tithe. And he makes a huge, huge ado about it. I mean, he walks into the back of the auditorium. If you can just imagine as we were taking our offering, you know, some religious leader walking in. I am here, people, to give my tithes and offerings. Yes, it is I. I have brought so much money into the storehouse to give to the Lord. In fact, it is $2,789.98. And I lay it here at the altar. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm not really exaggerating. This is really how it was going down. They made so much about what they were doing and about themselves. They made it all about themselves. This is what this guy does. Now, at the same time, there's this this widow that literally has nothing. A mite. Let's say she has a penny. 
probably looking a little rough around the edges. Widows really had it bad at this time. Nothing to her name. She had a penny. She quietly walks in. She doesn't want anyone to see her. She's embarrassed that the very, everything that she has to her name, one penny. And she walks forward and gives it to the Lord. Jesus says, this, this is generosity. Not this $10,000 gift or $50,000 or $150,000 gift. This is generosity. This penny is generosity. You see, we've said it every week, all four weeks, God is after our hearts. He's after our hearts. He saw this widow willing to give everything to the Lord. Everything. She was trusting, she was trusting in God for her tomorrow when she gave all she had. She's, Lord, this is it. This is all I have. I trust you. I remember a, a young guy I met. He was um, mentally disabled and struggled to a lot of the things, normal things that you and I would do uh, just in a normal day, he really struggled with. And um, I met him uh, at church one time as I was a worship director, and he came up to me, and he, he struggled to put sentences together, so it took him some time, but um, he, he eventually got to me. He said, I'd really like to audition for the worship team. I was like, wow, okay. Um, what do you play? And he says, well, I play drums. Now, I don't know um, if you know this or not, but the drums are probably the hardest instrument on stage to play. Um, they, you are playing usually eight or nine or ten instruments at once with both feet and both hands. So Nick Kelsey, who's up there, you're just seeing some hand movement, but he's actually doing things with all limbs. Have you guys ever tried to tap your head and rub your stomach at the same time? Imagine trying to do that and then doing two different things with your feet as well. Yeah, it's that difficult. So he says this to me, and I'm like, Oh, Lord, <laughs> how do I handle this? I, I, I thought to say to, to him, just, uh, no, thank you, we're good. Um, but I just didn't have the heart to say that to him. And so I said, well, auditions are Thursday night, and, and um, it starts at 7 o'clock. So he shows up a Thursday night, and um, he's the last. I saved him for the last one. I didn't want there to be a group there watching him. And, um, and so he... he he gets up on stage, and we play to a click track, which is extremely difficult, and I'm pretty hard on drummers, and um, we start playing through these songs, and he starts playing the drums. And I was shocked. And what I saw was someone who had dedicated their entire life to be able to use the gifts and talents God has given them for God's kingdom. This should have been impossible for this young man. And he sat back there, and he played through swings and shuffles, 6-8, 4-4, all of it. Couldn't hardly put a sentence together, but played the drums phenomenally. He had spent his entire life, he said, all I want to do is serve Jesus. You think... I. I look at drummers that have talent and musicians that have talent, and if they'd practice 15 minutes a day, they could probably be professional musicians. 
this kid practiced hours and hours a day just to be able to do that at 35 years old. What are we doing with what God gives us? I was so convicted. I was, I was, I was undone after the audition. I was, I was ruined. I was like, I felt guilty. I felt like I had never done any work in my life, you know, seeing what he could do on the instrument with what God had given him. I went home and I wrote like a three-page reminder to myself of what real sacrifice looks like. Because I'm telling you, he spent days upon days for years of his life so that he could serve Jesus. What are we doing with what God has given us? The second thing I want to pull out of this, we find in verse 8, it says, as I say this, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. We can prove our love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, radical generosity is a response to the revelation of God sending his son. That's the next fill-in. Radical generosity is a response to the revelation of God sending his son for you and me. I can never wrap my mind fully around the sacrifice that Christ has made for me. We, at Easter time, talk about the resurrection, and we talk about the cross from time to time, and we talk about sin from time to time, and how it was my sin and, and your sin that put Christ on the cross, but Christ went to the cross for you and me, and what a huge sacrifice that is. It's overwhelming, and I mean, it, it, it ruins us, it melts us, and, and we're so thankful for it, but we forget the original, the the first sacrifice that Christ made for you and me. You see, our entire life here as we live this, on this earth, we, we are preparing and hoping for what? Heaven, right? Eternity, this paradise that we are seeking where the streets are made of gold and, and we'll, we will be joined back together with our loved ones that have gone before us and, and the mysteries that we struggle with and the tension that we live in with sin and, and all these other things, temptation, all that goes away, right? And, and we get to be face to face with our creator. Finally, finally, all of it comes to this precipice where, where what was broken in creation in the garden is now healed and made beautiful and wonderful. We are waiting for it and hoping for it and looking so forward to it. It. And, and Jesus walked out of it. Jesus, in perfect unity with the Father and the Spirit, in one, three and one together, this Trinity thing that we can't even wrap our mind around, that kind of unity, we can't even imagine this personal unity and connection. Jesus walks out of heaven. He leaves it for you and me. Everything that we're hoping for, everything that, that we see and look to and purpose our lives towards, Jesus willingly left. That's what, he's, that's what Paul's pointing out here. For you know, Mission View, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
though he was in heaven, though he was in connection with the Father and the Spirit in this perfect unity in paradise, in the throne room, being worshipped by, by angels and cherubim, and everything is perfect in eternity, seeing the fullness of, of God the Father, all of that, everything, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. He left the beauty, the richness, the glory of heaven and put on flesh. We can never wrap our minds around that kind of sacrifice. There's no comparison for it. When we talk about the unity of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and heaven and all of these things, we can just guesstimate. We can just try and wrap our minds around it. We can't. We can't measure that kind of sacrifice. One of the greatest struggles for us on this side of heaven is fully wrapping our minds around the idea that heaven is as good as God says it is. And Jesus walked away from it. He had it all. And he gave it all for you and me. He was rich. And he gave it all so that we would find true riches in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he made that sacrifice for you. He loves you that much that he's willing to step into time, leaving the throne room, put on flesh, live a perfect life in thought and in deed and in action, everything. That it's something you and I can't do. He did it for you. And then he died a sinner's death on the cross where murderers and thieves go. It's the equivalent of our electric chair. He died on the cross for you and me. And then the third day, he rose again, defeating death and sin for you and me. If you don't know him, give your life to him. Surrender your life to him. He loves you and he's done that much for you. As we're talking about generosity, it has to be based out of this understanding and this growing in understanding of the gospel. We, we become so familiar with this story, this good news, this gospel of Jesus Christ, that it just doesn't mean very much. But I am telling you, the gospel has to propel our sanctification. The gospel has to be the fuel of our sanctification. The gospel has to be the fuel of evangelism. The gospel has to be the foundational point of everything that we do because it's all in, through, and about this person of Jesus Christ who's made a way for you and me. Don't become accustomed to the gospel. We have to be Christians who believe that there is more for us to know. There is more for us to understand, that there's more for us to dive into this understanding. It's easy for me to stand up here and share what the gospel good news is. But do we really, really get the good news? Do we, are we living the good news? Are we understanding it more and more as God changes us and grows us? We are not generous out of compulsion 
or to pay for our wrongs or to follow some legalistic rule. We are radically generous because we recognize his unmerited, unfailing, astonishing, radical generosity towards us. That, that's why we're generous. That's, that's why we give. That's why we go on missions trips. That's why we use our, our, our gifts and skills that he's given us for his kingdom. It's because of what Christ has done for you and me. Are you following along with me in this? The gospel? I, I share it every, I try to share the gospel every week. The risk of that is that you become accustomed to hearing it, right? Oh, here he goes. He's sharing the gospel again. He's going to say Jesus lived a perfect life, right? We're going to get accustomed to it. I really want to challenge us on this. We cannot become accustomed to hearing the gospel. When our hearts become hardened to the gospel, this book doesn't mean as much to us anymore. Our, our Bible study times and our prayer times become monotonous, shallow, hollow. One, one way that God has helped me stay passionate about the gospel is he always asks me why. He asks us why. Why the gospel? Why the need? Why was there a need for the gospel? Why is there a good news? Because there's bad news. There's really, really, really bad news. You see, I'm a sinner. I think things I shouldn't think. I say things I shouldn't say. And I do things I shouldn't do. And I have to repent. That's why. That's why there's a cross. It's my sin. It's my sin that hung Jesus on the cross. He died for Matt Haup. He died for Adam Swing. And he died for you. And you. And you. And you. It's us. Why? Why is there good news? Because God loves you so much that he wants to be in relationship with you. Don't let the gospel become something that is just talked about. Because it's the reality of the sin that you and I deal with every day. That's the why. Let's remember the why. Now, as I say that, we don't live in the why, right? We live in the good news. But let's not forget the why. Our last point in your notes today is this, number three. Radical generosity is how God works for us and in us. We see it in verse 13. Let's revisit it. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Isn't that good to know? You know God doesn't want to burden us with our giving, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. I love that little section there. It says, your abundance at this present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. Did they have abundance at that time? 
Well, we read it, right? They were in a wealth of poverty. They were in a severe suffering. Was there an abundance? What, what kind of abundance did they have? Hmm? This, is, this is a good question. God is working for us and in us. He will supply our every need. And as he moves us to radical generosity towards, towards others, he does in our hearts something we need even more. Radical generosity is a win-win, as is every biblical principle that we will go through as we study God's word. We meet tangible needs and we reap spiritual growth, blessings, and eternal treasures. We make temporary sacrifices and reap eternal rewards and immediate spiritual growth. That's what God's getting at here. This is kingdom economics. This is God's kingdom economics. There's no winners and losers in the kingdom of God. When you are a child of the king of kings, you begin to see the world, this present age, differently. And giving radical generosity becomes joy. Selflessness overrides selfishness. And peace invades chaos. And God takes a hold of our hearts. Now, I'm going to point out something I love about this text. It's in Exodus uh, chapter 16, verse 18. Paul quotes this, this, chap, this verse. He says, But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. That's what he quoted. It's interesting that Paul quotes from Exodus here. This is where the Israelites have, are on their exodus from captivity in Egypt, and they're on their way to a promised land. They're in this desert, and they're going through this desert. They were in there forever, it seemed like. And they're in this desert, and they're out there with no food, no water. If you can imagine all these people following Moses with no food, no water, they are on the brink of starvation and they're like, why have you brought us here? You know, they go through this. There's a great um, Keith Green song, uh, the manna. You guys, any Keith Green people in here? All right, banana, manna, pancakes. All right. Okay, so there's a couple of us. <laughs> I'm dating myself a little bit. But anyways, they, they're, they're in the desert on the brink of starvation. And God sends them manna from heaven. Can you imagine eating food from heaven? Right? Manna from heaven. This is... Now, I find it really interesting that Paul quotes about manna from heaven when he's talking about money from our bank account. Hmm. Interesting. Our paradigm has to shift in regards to money. It's not my house, my savings, my retirement, my investment, my stuff. It's God's. It's all God's. It has always been his. And he lovingly and graciously entrusts it to us for our good, for our joy, and for his glory. Think about that. We don't, we don't live our lives going around thinking that way or living that way. I'm not, I don't know about you, but I just I don't walk around going, oh, this is the Lord's. I don't... I'm just confessing that to you. As I get into my car that has 140,000 miles on it, I'm driving to work and the power steering doesn't work. I'm not thinking, "Woo, this is the Lord's beautiful car that I need to fix. You know, I don't think that way. But our paradigm has to shift. Everything that we have is the Lord's and that's what he's getting at. Think about this idea of manna. The, The Israelites didn't choose manna. The Israelites didn't work for manna. You following me here? God graciously, mercifully provided manna for them. 
That's the, that's the picture God is painting for us today. Our bank accounts are filled with manna. We didn't work for it. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We didn't choose it. God graciously, mercifully gives it to us for our good, for our joy, so that we can pour it out for his glory. That's why God, I really believe that's why God used this verse. It's honest. We didn't choose our parents. We didn't choose the country we were born into. We didn't choose God. It's God's grace over and over and over again. The job that you have, the skills that you've been given, the practice that you've done with those skills, it is all grace. It is all grace and all the glory goes to him. And as soon as we start to try to take credit for it is when it all begins to fall apart. You know, I think to my, I, for years I traveled with a, a Christian rock band and and we would sign autographs after shows and different things. And people, oh, you're just, that was amazing. You just, it is all God's grace. Early on, I thought to myself, well, you know, I did stay up all night every night for about seven years playing guitar. I would wake up and go to school with like guitar frets on my face and strings because I fell asleep on my guitar. And I worked really hard to get this good. And I, I really, so I mean, you know, pat on the back, baloney. That is a lie from the devil. God, by his grace, by the power of his spirit, allowed me to do any of those things. It's, it, is a very, it is a supernatural miracle that I can stand in front of you, open this book, and talk about the creator God. It is, it is his grace alone. We have to, that's our paradigm. If you've given your life to Jesus, that has to be the starting point, that it is all a grace and mercy from an amazing God. We don't deserve any of it. But you know what? He gives it to us anyways because he's good. He's really good. Amen. This is, I, I love this text and kind of the pictures that he paints with what's going on. So convicting, isn't it? But it's very freeing, too. You see the sovereignty and providence of, of God. I mean, we talk about it. We talk about how God's, like, powerful, you know, and, and how he can do these things. But then when we start to look at it, we start to give him the glory for the things that are going on in our lives and the good that has happened to us. You get to this point of freedom where you're like, it, it doesn't rest on your shoulders, right? It doesn't rest on us. As we pursue God by the power of the Spirit, He's the one that does things, does those amazing works. We just have to trust in Him. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's pray before we sing our closing song today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for manna from heaven. Lord, the gifts that You so richly pour out on us God, I pray that you would make us, Mission View, a church that is thankful. God, that we wouldn't take for granted the good news, that we wouldn't take for granted the gifts and, and the financial gifts and, and the gifts of talents and treasures and time that you've given each one of us. We know that every second, that every skill, that every penny that's been given to us is yours, O oh Lord.
Help us be a people that would, would give those things away for your glory. God, not that we would be burdened, <laughs> but we would find joy in relationship with you and joy in radical generosity for your kingdom. God, do what only you can do in our hearts. We surrender to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song today.